My name is Patrick J. McGinnis, and I coined the term FOMO. That's short for fear of missing out, and it's why some people end up following the crowd. But we're not like them. We're part of a new species that isn't afraid to do things differently. I call us FOMO sapiens. And this is the show where you'll meet people like us, phenomenal FOMO sapiens, to learn how they find the courage and the ideas to live exceptional lives. FOMO. FOMO. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to FOMO Sapiens, the show for people who don't just follow the crowd, but instead take their own path to success in business and in life. I'm your host, Patrick J. McGinnis, venture capitalist by day, author and podcaster by night, and FOMO Sapiens 24-7. Now we're coming up on the end of the year. We've been talking about bold thinkers all season in season eight. And I just want to end with a couple episodes about resilience and about, I don't know, just the power of the human spirit. It's been a long couple of years with the pandemic, with just a lot of instability. We got a recession, we got a war. There's just a lot of reasons to feel a little frustrated, a little down maybe, sort of doubt what's going on in this world. But I hope that the next two weeks will give you stories that you find super inspiring because they certainly did for me. They inspired me, they taught me things, and you're just gonna get, I think, a new perspective. And our guest today is Mike Ott. And Mike is a somebody I knew socially, actually. I met him a couple of years back through some mutual friends. And then I lost track of him. And I heard he had been through some really harrowing life experience. So we met up for dinner and he told me his story. And I was sitting there in shock. Just my mouth was hanging open. This was about a year ago, actually. It was a warm night in December, believe it or not. And we were just getting into it, the story he's gonna tell today. And I just... I, I don't even know. I, my reaction was just shock. I actually kind of teared up a lot. It just moved. Every time I talk to Mike these days, I just sort of get a little teary because his story is so amazing. And I want him to share it with you today. So that's why I had him on the show. We're going to talk about how Mike Ott's recovery from paralysis changed his perspective. Now, Mike began his career in the investment industry with Bessemer Trust and initially focused on business development. And then he moved on to DPM Capital, an equity-focused hedge fund as a research analyst and trader, where he went on to lead the firm's research and trading activities. In July of 2019, he sustained a spinal cord injury in an accident and was initially quadriplegic. Through dedicated rehab over two years, Mike regained his abilities to walk, run, jog, and use his hands, all during the pandemic, this rehab believe it or not. He celebrated his recovery by completing a journey through Africa in the summer of 2021, and then returned to the investment industry as a consultant for Endurance Partners, a PE firm, private equity. He's currently focused on writing, travel, and consulting within the investment industry. And by the way, one thing that is not in Mike's bio, but is super important, is that he is from the state of Maine, just like yours truly. So I always just have a soft spot for the Mainers, and I'm always very happy to have somebody from Maine on the show. Now, here's what you're going to learn. First of all, just the story of how this went down, it's harrowing. So I, I just really want you to hear it, just what his experience was like, what it was like to suddenly become a quadriplegic. It's insane. Next, we're going to hear about his recovery and all the things he had to do. He was so entrepreneurial. I could go on and on all day about how amazing this is. I really need to stop because it's it's not productive for you, but the entrepreneurial thinking that he put into action in his recovery, just getting around the corners, facing the obstacles in order to move forward. It's really just, it's a great example for all of us. And finally, he's going to share his new perspective, what he learned and how he's living his life now, what's different, what's the same, what we can learn from him. All right, 
Now, the small ask this week, since we're getting towards the holidays, I'm not going to ask for anything for myself. It's rude to ask for presents. I just ask you to do something nice for somebody, okay? Give them a nice gift. Give some money to charity. Hit the subscribe button on their podcast. Something like that. All right. <laughs> and now onto the interview. As you know, I like to start every interview with the same question, and Mike was no exception. So I started our conversation by asking him this. What's a formative decision you've had to make to get to where you are today? For me, um, it was just to continue. I keep working, keep trying, keep experimenting. And I had to make it over and over again. But you know, that was it. And there was no shortage of obstacles, pain, uncertainty, insurance, pandemics, so on and so forth. But the bottom line was every day you just had to get up and fight on. Yeah. And we'll be talking about this throughout the episode. But as I said in the intro, Mike experienced a traumatic injury that changed his life and has we're going to talk about that process because um because it is an incredible story that when i've heard it for the first time we were having dinner having not seen each other for years you told me the story i didn't know what to do i felt a lot of feelings like i thought i was going to fall over um out of amazement but also like it was just it was incredible so i'm excited to get into this conversation to get started mike let's go back to July 26th, 2019. Tell me about what's going on in your life. Sure. Um, so it was a pretty ordinary summer day for me. Um, you know, I was leading the research and trading operation at a hedge fund that was headquartered in New York and was walking to work from West Village and, you know, kind of did my 10 minute stroll up Hudson Street and logged in and did what I needed to do for the day. And um, we kind of had a big comeback year and logged out and threw a duffel over my shoulder to go to the train station and see some friends and um, you know, went down and saw some of the closest people that I have in my life. And, um, you know, as happens all too often, we, you know, enjoyed the day and then went for a swim later at night and um, dove right into shallow water. And I remember right at that moment, just hearing this thud. And that was the only sensation was just the sound of it. Um, and it was like the rest of your body just vanished. You know, there was no no feeling, no movement, nothing. Um, and then gratefully, you know, my friends kind of came in and turned me over. And so you're underwater. And did you realize, I mean, we were like, I, I can't move. Or was it also fast? Because how long were you under the water? It's hard to say exactly. And I've never actually asked anyone's opinion on that. Yeah. But, um, you know, you realize pretty quickly what's happening. I mean, you heard the impact and, you know, you kind of could see through the murky water that my arms are just kind of dangling there. And, and, you know, you know, you're keenly aware. I mean, it was like your sort of head is on earth, but your body's in heaven. And, um, you know, it took register pretty quickly that, you know, I was quadriplegic from breaking my neck. And so you're 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 pulled at least up to the surface and what happens next? Because I, how many people were there, and like, how did they process? Like, what were the decisions that they made, and how did that impact like the sort of the the, the next stage of, of the of the evening? Yeah, it was absolutely amazing. So um, the person who had rescued me had, had really had you know no formal training or anything, but he might have been a lifeguard in a previous life or something. And you know, while I'm underwater, sort of preparing to cross into the next realm and sort of giving thanks for my friends and family and the experiences I had had and everything. He's just sort of waiting up next to my body and turns me over very slowly. And then, you know, I get to breathe. Um, and then he kept me in the water, which was a key decision, you know, not causing any further damage. 
Um, and then we had another guy with us who could play the guitar. So, you know, we called the ambience, obviously, we're just kind of waiting there. Um, and, you know, I, I got to put in the song request. So we listened to Landslide on the guitar and sort of got some live music until uh, the paramedics came. And then they, you know, kind of strapped me to a board and took me into the ambulance onto the hospital. And, you know, again, just a huge stroke of luck, which plays a role in a lot of these stories was 20 minutes drive from University of Maryland, which has an amazing surgery center. Yeah, it's I think it's like the people who live to tell their stories are the ones who are in the spot like where they're able to they have the luck, right? Like if you weren't lucky and you were in the middle of the Serengeti, we probably wouldn't be having this conversation. So you're lying in the you're lying in the water. You realize like you're a quadriplegic. What are you thinking? Um, you know, on, I mean, there's sort of before you're turned over and after you're turned over. Mm -hmm. Right. And so to, before I'm turned over, you know, I didn't really have, you know, time to think about, well, what if I get rescued? You kind of had to make peace with the fact that this might be it. And, you know, I thought immediately of friends and family and relationships, and that's what had really mattered and kind of given a lot of color to my life. And, you know, sort of vaguely think about experiences. And then you kind of go on to, you know, if this is judgment day for me, I, you know, hope I was decent enough. And it's a bit of a Pascal's wager. And then, you know, at that point, I was sort of turned over. And then, you know, on the other side, you sort of, you know, get a few breaths of air, and you realize, you know, I'm alive, but I'm quadriplegic. And to me, you know, I thought that that was going to be for life right then and there. And so, you know, I thought immediately, okay, you know, I need to be the best family member and friend that I can and still just try and be good company. And and then obviously you think about parents and stuff and, and what they were going to have to go through. But, you know, those were the initial reactions. It's funny, like you didn't mention work. <laughs> you know what? Uh, Did you think about no. work? No, I mean, I, I didn't think about it. You know, it, it didn't really register. I mean, I guess until, you know, it's at some point where you're sort of stabilized in intensive care and, you know, all that. And you're kind of like, oh, yeah, about that whole thing. But uh, no, that <laughs> that took a while to even cross my mind. Yeah. I mean, that's I mean, nobody I, you never hear that. Like when people are like have a near death experience. Nobody's like, you know what I thought about? Like I had the spreadsheet that I wanted to finish. Right. It's I mean, not that work isn't important, but it's like you go to these other places entirely. FOMO. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems or delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, access from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you improve efficiency by bringing all major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move, so do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. And with rising prices everywhere you look, you got to do the math and save money. Good news, by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. So head over to NetSuite.com slash FOMO. That's NetSuite.com slash FOMO. NetSuite.com slash FOMO. Tudo bem, meus queridos FOMO sapiens. Now that right there was Portuguese. And as you know, I love speaking foreign languages. But I'm not alone. One in five Americans have learned a new language on their bucket list. If that's you, make 2024 the year you finally check it off that list with Babbel. 
the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's tips and tools are approachable, accessible, and delivered with conversation-based teaching so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Now, FOMO Sapiens, you know I speak four languages, and it takes work to stay on top of them, especially with French. C'est difficile. But with Babbel, I'm able to practice practical conversations that I can actually use in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash FOMO. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash FOMO. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash FOMO. Rules and restrictions may apply. FOMO. So let's get into the recovery because just before we, we do that, talk about where you are today because I'm, look, I'm looking at you. We're on, you know, we're on a, a, a podcasting software. You're up in the state of Maine, the greatest state in the world, obviously. And you Hands look down. amazing. And you, Thank you. you run a sub nine minute while, I believe, probably faster than that now. But like you are doing things that you know, a lot of people can't do. How do you feel? What's going on? Yeah. I mean, it comes and goes. So that I was running, you know, the day of that accident, a 520 mile and to run something like a nine now takes far more input than that, you know, near five ever did. Um, But, you know, you feel grateful to be alive now. And the analogy that I make sometimes is like your race car, you know, kind of rebuilt from a, you know, totaled set of parts. I mean, you know, it's not perfect and there's a lot of pain and, and kind of different quirks, but you know, I'm so grateful for the opportunity to get up and work on it every day that, you know, I, I keep getting better. Um, and you know, like you said, I mean, I've, I've been fortunate to travel the world and kind of run a nine minute mile and do my patty certification, scuba diving and just keep the adventure going. So you're, so you're, I mean, yeah, it's a good point. So it's not that you're completely back. That's like nothing ever happened, but you can live a full life based on the recovery that you've made. Correct. Yeah. I mean, and that's my opinion. And I think I really sort of made that choice for myself, um, you know, long after I'd really had this huge comeback. And it, it took two years really to get to that point where I felt like, okay, you know, I'm no longer just in battle mode. I can really, you know, live a full life. And for me, that happened on this kind of, you know, five day overnight hike that I'd taken in South Africa where, and again, I put in all the work for hours a day and you're sort of in warehouses. And then I thought, you know, OK, what if you get, you know, out of those environments and go test yourself and and see what you're made of now? Um, and so I sort of ventured off into the wilderness, you know, on the very southern point of Africa by myself and and kind of, you know, battled my way through a little five day trek and came out the other end and thought, OK, you know what? I can really do this. And, you know, there's a lot of pain and there were a lot of points where you wanted to kind of quit and and get out of there. But um you know, that's what I wake up every day is. Yeah. You know, you don't have a quote unquote perfect body, but neither does anybody. Right. Totally. So let's talk about that recovery because listen, I understand definitely a part of his effort, but also part of it is circumstance. Like some people just, even if they put in all the work in the world, they wouldn't be able to achieve the improvement that you've seen, but you have had this incredible improvement. Take us through, I think, you know, I'd love to just focus first on those first couple of months and you're, you know, you're in the hospital. It's bright. It's noisy. You can't move. You're surrounded by doctors. You don't know really. You have no sense of what's going to happen. Like where? I guess like if we think this is a show about decision making. Like what were the decisions that you had to make, and how did you sort of make it through that period of time? And what was the focus? 
Yeah. I mean, and to your point, you know, on luck, I mean, I, I often tell people too that like my story was like having to flip a coin a hundred times in a row and get heads every time. And I mm-hmm. did. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I had a great rescue. I had incredible surgery. I was in a great intensive care unit. And then I, you know, went on to a great hospital and then, you know, found all the resources I needed. And then yes, poured, you know, every ounce of effort on top of that to make all the ingredients work. Um, but, you know, you kind of come to an intensive care. And like you said, you're sort of looking up at like these white fissured ceiling tiles and there's bright lights. And uh, I was on a ventilator, so you can't speak um, and you can't move. And so the only way to really communicate with the outside world is a nurse is holding like a laminated keyboard in front of your face. Mm-hmm. Right. And she'll run her finger across, you know, here she and, and, you know, starting with Q. And then you're supposed to blink on the letter that you want to use to spell words. And that's your only way to kind of speak to the world. Um, And then, you know, very slowly, I mean, it's sort of like end of life care in reverse. Um, You know, you're coming off of like this life support. And so you get, you know, off of a ventilator and you still can't move. But I'll never forget that just first breath of fresh air and just being like, wow, you know this is just the best. I mean, this is everything. And then, you know, you get your first sip of water and you're just like, well, you know, wow, that's good stuff. <laughs> um, and, you know, they really didn't tell me much at the onset and they they tend not to because it's nebulous and, and they don't know. But kind of behind closed doors, they were telling, um, you know, my parents like, hey, he might be able to walk in a year. So I had that prognosis. And then, you know, in my own mind, I remember the first time that I could actually like fall asleep or one of the first times and I had this dream that I was back in this lacrosse tournament I had played in in Mexico City a couple years prior Um, and it was the last time I'd ever actually played and you know I was back in that moment and then I woke up from that and I could sort of move like my right foot a little bit and I was like you know what it's in there somewhere let's go get it you know and and that was sort of the beginning it's amazing to me how that, I mean, that moment of the, of the dream. And then you wake up and you, you're able to sort of move your foot. Like that body mind connection is, is, I just don't even know what to do with that. But I guess you probably had a lot of moments like that where you started to realize like the psychology and the body was much more deeply connected than you'd ever thought before. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. I mean, so, you know, intensive care, I was sort of stuck there and they don't have necessarily what you need in intensive care to, you know, hoist you in harnesses and give you three hours a day of therapy and give you everything you need to kind of get going again. But, you know, they have some people that can sort of work with you. And I remember, you know, at one point they were like, we're just going to try and get you to stand up. And, you know, I couldn't move, right? You can't lift forked mouth. You kind of can't really do anything. And we're like, oh, okay, let's give it a go. And so they they take me up in this, you know, crane called a Hoyer lift and plop me down into a wheelchair. And, you know, these people come in and this one therapist, you know, gets her arms under my shoulders and says, you know, I'm just going to yank you on the count of three and, and do everything I can. And, and we tried a couple of times. It was one, two, three and just fail, right? One, two, three, you know, no go. I mean, she couldn't lift me. I had nothing in my legs. And all of a sudden, you know, my mom walks in the room and, you know, we do the one, two, three, one more time and just bam, you know, you're up for two seconds, basically someone else holding all your body weight. But nonetheless, you know, it happens that you plop back down and and the whole journey was kind of full of those moments. I mean, I, I spent a couple months in total in hospitals, you know, the second one being Spalding Rehab in Boston, which was an incredible experience. And um, it was filled with things like that, where, you know, you couldn't quite do something or, or, and then, you know, for whatever reason, a loved one or someone came by and and you're able to get it done. FOMO. 
FOMO. So what happens? So you get out of you get out of the hospital, you go to rehab, and then lucky you, this is you. I mean, like it just kind of like add another thing. COVID comes along. And so I have to think that was disruptive. Like, how did you think of, I'm curious, like when COVID happened, were you like way more chill than the rest of us? Cause you're like, you know what? Like I, I almost died. And so like, you know, COVID, like it may be pretty bad, but I've already been through a lot this year. Or how did you kind of, how did it affect your, your mental state? It's interesting, you know, because they say like, you know, when you're in the hospital and you, you're, you're sort of on month two and getting ready to go out there, like you're about to face the hardest part, you know, just a heads up. And I'm like, what are you talking about? You know, like the pain's getting better. And like, I just learned to walk again a little bit. Like, you know, you got to be kidding. And then, you know, you get out and you realize like the real world is a tough place and you're beat up and you got to find a way to survive. And the playbook for, you know, making the full recovery that I wanted, you know, didn't exist. I just had to make it up. Right. So you know, I had to go find all these people and trainers and, you know, conduct experiments and just build the four hours a day of work that I was going to put in. And, and COVID sort of threw that all out of whack. Um, you know, basically everything gets canceled. Right. And so for anyone trying to, you know, get healthcare in that time, I mean, I know it was really hard for anyone going through like chemo treatments or whatever. And, you know, a lot of people were able to kind of take their laptops to the Hamptons, but for me, it was just the singularity of, the purpose that kind of kept me going. So I, you know, just started trekking up and down stairwells. And thankfully I had someone, you know, a PT who was willing to work with me kind of behind closed doors and just turn the lights off and lock the place and kind of hush hush and keep going. You you just found a way to grind through it. And it, it almost, you know, didn't matter. You just adapted. Talk about the creativity of that, because I'm, I, I remember you told me you hired a high school track coach to, to teach yeah. you how to run again. Like, what, how did you like, would it be that you encounter a problem and just try to think creatively about how to solve it? Like, cause you really did have to kind of improvise. Yeah. You kind of plug away and you have to improvise. And so, you know, the running was like a project that I was working on right as COVID sort of hit. And you have like all these, you know, fancy expensive PTs that are working with professional athletes and stuff. And I just wasn't quite getting there yet, but it was felt like, you know, okay, it's close. And then obviously, you know, all that gets blown up with COVID and, uh, moved home to our lovely state of Maine and you're kind of sitting here in square one and you're like, okay, I'm in the basement with my grandmother's trainer and I'm like streaming videos and, you know, Amazon exercise equipment sold out. Like, what do I do now? And so you just think I want to run track coach and start asking around town and got the number for um, a local guy, Sean Anderson, who became an incredible friend. And, you know, we just set a time and he showed up and he looks at me, he's like, oh boy you know, this is a bigger project than I thought. And, you know, we started just trying and showed up, you know, day in, day out. And that was full of lots of stumbles and face plants. I mean, every single time you try and jog like two, three steps, my left foot would catch. And then, you know, your body tees up on the way down and just be face plant. And you just kind of endure enough of those and, and get a little bit further each time. And that's how it began. Now, tell us what was going on with your kind of professional life at this point, because obviously recovery is a full-time job, but you had been working. I remember your, your, actually your office of your fund was like two doors down from where I worked, except your place was way nicer. And I was always like, what's going on in there? So like what, what happened professionally and like what, you know, while you were recovering? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, we had a great spot in the meatpacking district and everything. And like you said, you know, kind of walking to work and I had been promoted a couple of times and, um, you know, we were sort of off to the races with a small group of people running a hedge fund. And, um, you know, they had to hire a replacement right away when I was in the hospital. So I had been working on, you know, building out a list of potential hires and, you know, the next day or, you know, whenever, 
you know, as quickly as possible, someone was in my seat. And then, um, you know, it was kind of put to me, like, if you know, you're back in 90 days, let's talk about it. But if not, you know, that's going to be it for you. And so, um, you know, that was it for me. And, um, you know, I was kind of let go and then had, uh, you know, to deal with all that and, you know, mentally, and then, you know, sort of get on to focusing everything on, you know, what I did have. And that's, you know, one of the great lessons out of this whole experience is be grateful for what's given and, you know, okay, I lost something, but I was given carte blanche to go do what I needed to do. So, um, you know, professionally, you're just kind of focusing on getting better. And then, um, you know, after I conquered that project, got back into financial work and kind of consulted for some private equity firms and things like that and have, have taken on new projects since and you just find a way to rebuild. So now that you're, you're, you know, you're, you're back at work, you're feeling good, you know, what is it like after? Because, you know, your life is consumed by something and then you're sort of like, well, okay, now what, right? Like, what is my life going to look like? Because you are given in many ways a gift, which is the opportunity to really figure out what matters to you. And I have to, yes. I have to imagine that it's like, you know, not like you're Scrooge. I'm not going to call you Scrooge because you're an amazing guy. But, you know, Scrooge does the whole thing. He has the ghost of Christmas past, ghost of Christmas future. And he wakes up and all of a sudden he's like no longer a Scrooge. He's like giving everybody the money. And I'm curious, right. like you have been through this transformational experience. Like what, 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 like what did it change about what you want to, what has to do with your life? So it's really interesting. I mean, it's a trial and error process, almost exactly like, you know, learning to walk again or run again or anything. I mean, you, I think, you know, anyone that's been through something like this, or, you know, I was just speaking with my grandmother earlier who just finished writing a book and has put years into that. And you kind of, you know, focus on just one thing for so long and then it's done. And you kind of have to figure out like, okay, you know, what do I do now and what matters? And so, um, you know, I know before I left on my first travel, I was kind of you know, getting a drink with an old coworker and had this moment of, hey, you know, I'm about to go do something I never could have done beforehand. And I'd always been at my desk kind of dreaming of like, what if I go spend a month in Africa or just kind of journey through all these far and remote places that I never had the ability to see. And so that was something I just went and tackled um, and, you know, swam with great whites and did these incredible hikes and kind of went through Tanzania and Kenya and saw the great migration and went to Lebanon on election day and, you know, saw shots in the air and everything and, you know, different parts of the Middle East and, you know, tons of hiking and, and, you know, went out and saw nature and really the world and, and went out to embrace it. Um, and so that was something that was important to me. And obviously, you know, you, you have a renewed focus on the loved ones that help get you through that whole thing. Um, and so just enjoying being with the people that are, that are in your life every day has, has become hugely important. And then obviously, you know, kind of balancing all that out with, work and you know creating new projects in the financial world and also doing a bunch of writing you know starting to tell the story you know a little bit like someone you might know yeah i mean listen i certainly <laughs> didn't have the same degree of challenge but in my own way of course i had went through my own metamorphosis and i think when you go through um when you go through a change in your life i think writing is really important because a former guest on the show um bruce feiler very aptly said that when you're in transition, like we all have a story of our life. I'm, I'm Patrick. I do this. I live here. I do these things. This matters to me. And when your life changes, you may not know the story anymore. And in order to move forward, you need to rewrite the story. And so like literally going through the act of writing for many people is therapeutic 
because you know what the, you kind of get the old story out there and then you can start thinking about that new story. FOMO. FOMO. I'm curious, like given all of these experiences and all that you've learned, you know, you, you mentioned being grateful and gratitude is such an important part of, you know, everyday life, but we forget sometimes and, you know, we wake up on the wrong side of the bed and, you know, you go to the store to buy something and there's a line and you can, it's easy to just sort of get upset and a normal day, you know, he's just like, we inject a lot of negativity into it sometimes. Right. And I'm curious sure. for you, like, like it's a Tuesday at 3 PM. Are you just like, Oh my goodness, I'm so glad to be here. Or it's after a period of time, do you also just life becomes more normal and you sort of just go back into the flow? Like, does it stick with you? Uh, it definitely sticks with you in a way. I mean, I, th I think once you've had something like that, you can always go back to it and lean on the experience. Um, and it's funny, you know, you mentioned Bruce's book, um, or I think you just mentioned mm. Bruce, but his book, Life is in the yeah. Transitions, is incredible. And and having that narrative for me to go back to is incredibly helpful, right? So I started initially writing when I was, you know, pretty fresh out of the hospital. And I knew, you know, these gains are not going to come easy. Um and I'm going to keep showing up every day and it's going to be really hard and I'm not going to feel like I'm getting anywhere. And so therefore, like, I need to track the input and I'm just going to write down, you know, what's going on. And so you go back to that point in time and I have, you know, just lists of exercises. And then, you know, as I needed to evolve out of just being, you know, the rehab person, you start writing down lessons, thoughts throughout the day, um, you know, different things in a journal. And then you have that to go back to. And so, um you know, of course, you know, silly things can upset me and, and I'm, you know, just like everyone else in that regard. But I think you have that perspective gained from the experience that you can always kind of sit down and meditate on or think about and say, okay, you know, um, you know, I could be back there. I mean, you know, I remember I was in just a crazy amount of pain one time in the hospital and um, the doctor said, well, would you like to go back to not feeling again? And I was like, no, let's get down to the gym and, and keep going. Um, and so that's, you know, another one where, you know, um, you can always sort of lean on it if you need to. Wow. That doctor, that's amazing. Amazing. You know, would you like to go back to not feeling anything at all? That is, that's some real talk there. Now, by the way, everybody listening, yeah. Bruce Filer, Life's in the Transition. He came on FOMO Sapiens in the summer of 2020. So go find that. It's one of my, we just, we've rerun it. In fact, as a best of, because it's one of my favorite conversations, now, Mike, I do want to talk about here. You, you've been, you sent me something you've been writing, which is about the lessons of recovery. And there were a couple I wanted you to just hit on because I thought they were really great. Uh, just things for all of us to think about in terms of you know our day to day life. Because you're right, like we all fall into the trap of just like doing things and being in our routines and not stepping back to say like smell the roses, right, or just be appreciative of our health or our family or. Or just the fact that maybe like you are in a long line, but like you're able, you have the money to buy that bagel. This is my morning this morning. Right. right? There could be someone really interesting in that line. Totally. Uh, so my question for you is really take us through the, we're going to do three here, but the first one is you say, stay open-minded, try things. The solution you need might be right in front of you. I'm curious if you have an anecdote that showed that to you. Yeah. Um, I mean, there were tons of things that I tried and there were, you know, I'll give you failures and successes, right? I mean, I tried like these different forms of acupuncture. Some of them worked, some of them, you know, I tried this like electro one that totally didn't work and was really uncomfortable. And 
um, you know, really everything under the sun I was kind of willing to throw at the problem. And then, you know, it was amazing just what part chance encounters played in the whole thing. I mean, I remember there was one time where I was sort of at the beach in Miami with some friends and I was still very beat up. And that was kind of where I had gone to sort of base my recovery and was just speaking with some people I had happened to meet there. I'd never met them in my life, just check up a conversation with strangers. They said, you know, no way. Like this just happened to a friend of ours too. He's at this place called Barwis, which, you know, focused almost exclusively on training professional athletes and spinal cord patients. Never would have found it if it weren't for that chance encounter. And that was a place where I really sort of, you know, got to a next level and, and enabled myself to do a whole nother level of things. So you just never quite know what's out there um, sort of right in front of you. And and that's why it's so important to be sort of grateful and open-minded because if you're kind of kicking the dust around, you're not going to see all those little positive nuggets that are just laying right in front of you. Yeah, and be curious because the easy thing to say is, I tried that already. I've gone to that kind of thing and it's not going to work for me. But, right. you know, you never know what you're going to find. Now, the second is, I like this one. This sounds fun. Dance and enjoy. Remember the time you couldn't. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for sure. I mean, and that sort of, you know, dovetails into one of the questions that you asked earlier about, you know, what do you do now with life? But, uh, I actually wrote that down, you know, I'd say a month after I got out of the hospital and kind of was standing in front of a mirror and just did like a little jig. And I was like, Hey, you know what? This is awesome. Um, you know, I never want to stop doing this. And it's true. I mean, the laughs that you have, you know, with loved ones and friends and just the ability to go hit a dance floor and, and even celebrating little things. I mean, you know, again, like those first sips of fresh air and, and first time outside being in the sun. And, and, you know, you need to go enjoy your life. Um, you know, it's privileged to be here. Final one. You, you said the world is a hard place. Be kind towards others and yourself. So talk about that a little bit. Yeah. I mean, it is, you know, a tough place. I mean, you just encounter things out there. Um, you know, if, I mean, I, I saw a teenage girl who was, you know, walking for the first time and sort of wasn't supposed to. And then, you know, her insurance got cut off or, you know, different things that happened to me along the way or, um, you know, it's, it's a tough place to exist, but I think you can only make it easier on yourself by, you know, kindness towards other people. Cause that's just going to open doors that you never knew might exist. And I think, you know, the example that I kind of talked through earlier of, you know, finding Barwis in the place that I need to be just came by way of, you know, being kind and open to people that were just sitting next to me. Um, and you sort of never know. I mean, like there was a time where I was standing in line at a Rite Aid and my hands were, you know, pretty messed up and I couldn't really hold all the items I need to. And, you know, I kind of rush up to the counter and a guy's standing there and he just explodes at me, you know, of like, what are you doing? Get the F out of my space, you know? And, and uh, I sort of just backed off and, you know, you think of it later. I was like, I don't know what, you know, that guy went through that morning um, or what anyone else is going through at any particular point in time. But um, it's a good thing to be aware of, you know, even when things are easy for you, it's not an easy world all the time. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think if you didn't learn that from the pandemic, um, you know, you missed an opportunity because I, I would agree, like my ability to just be unkind to somebody went way down because I think we all had to learn to put ourselves in other people's shoes and also that life is short. And if you're focusing on the negative, you're missing, you know, a perfectly nice day that you could do something a lot better. Correct. Everybody, if you want to learn more about Mike, you can check out mikeot.net. That's mikeott.net. If you want to find him on Instagram, he is at mikeott.net. 
1414. Mike Ott, so glad to have you here and thank you so much for telling your story. Thanks a lot for having me. FOMO. If you like today's show, please be sure to rate it and recommend it to your friends. And as always, you can find me on Instagram at Patrick J. McGinnis, on Twitter at PJ McGinnis, and on the web at FOMOSapiens.com or PatrickMcGinnis.com, where you can get all kinds of free resources to live a more decisive and entrepreneurial life. FOMO Sapiens is recorded in New York City. Theme music is by Mike McGinnis, and editing and post-production is by Josh Elstro. If you like today's show, please be sure to rate it and recommend it to your friends. And as always, you can find me at FOMOSapiens.com and at PatrickMcGinnis.com. To advertise on FOMO Sapiens, reach out to contact at FOMOSapiens.com. FOMO. FOMO.